So God continues listing the many ways in which he'll enter back into covenant with Israel. I won't go into all those details. Like there's a lot of imagery with like giver vineyards, the Valley of Achor for a door of hope, make them lie down safely. There's Mm. so many really cool nuggets there. But in other words, he's giving her mercy and saying, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm, I'm going to try harder to win you back so that you can feel my love. Exactly. Yeah. And so many specific, beautiful examples that he Mm -hmm. says he's going to do for her and to her. So he's essentially promising a sense of safety and protection. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Dear young married couple, do you have a difficult time prioritizing your devotions or prayer time? Well, today we want to talk about devotions and kind of actually a, a look at how we've really worked on this area but also what we've learned in this area of of spiritual insight and uh, Bible reading and exegesis and all that stuff. Yeah, toward the beginning of our marriage, we found it quite difficult to prioritize our time with the Lord and our time together with the Lord. Like we Mm. would pray without ceasing, right? Like talk to the Lord throughout the day, but that intentional study time where you're just communing with God and bonding with God, and we'll talk about Mm. that phrase, bonding with God. Um, but we found it difficult toward the beginning of our marriage. Um, a few years in, we got more consistency and just in the last few years, we've really deepened our walk with God during our morning devotion time yeah. and our study time. And it's actually helped us deepen our relationship with each other. Yeah. It's, it's funny how we desired it for so long and it was a should for so long. Mm. We, we should get up and every time prayer was preached on, we felt all guilty and like, we got to do better at that. But it's only been, I don't know, the last four years maybe that I felt really confident and seen the relationship with God just grow and grow and grow. So we thought we'd talk about, okay, what are we learning that's doing this and how do we work on this? Yeah. So what prompted this particular episode is a few days ago during our morning devotion, we came across a, a devotional where we were diving in on this stuff and we're like, this is so good. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and it was related to marriage. And then Adam's like, that's really what you've been um, working on in your dissertation. Like that will, that'll really fit into your dissertation. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, that totally will. And he's like, babe, we haven't really talked about your dissertation much on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He's like, maybe we should do an episode about this topic and tie it into the dissertation. It's like, okay. Yeah. So that was kind of our idea. And so for those who don't know, Carissa is working on her dissertation in uh, biblical theology. Um, What's the exact title of the degree? My degree is a PhD in um, biblical interpretation and theology. The exact title of my dissertation is Toward a Pentecostal Theology of Marital Intimacy. Yeah. And so she had to study um, three biblical languages and... There was a lot of prep to, to get into this degree. I'm really proud of her. She's done a fantastic job Thanks and she's worked really hard while building a company, while building kids. <laughs> <laughs> Adam has been an incredible teammate in the actual doctoral program too, mm. because he studies with me, he supports me, sends me off on my dissertation Sundays between services to go work on it while he's with the kids and yeah. is, he's been a huge support. So hopefully I can get this dissertation done this year. Yes. <laughs> It'd be amazing. It would be amazing. So really I think this whole journey 
really started when you started your dissertation. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually had the opportunity to go to Israel for one month and to study there. And while we were there, our eyes were opened to the historical grounding for what we read in the Bible and, you know, realize, okay, you know, there's so much more to, well, you know, just travel abroad, right? Like go into any, any country. It's difficult, right. To, um, translate words. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it's, it's difficult enough to translate maybe, uh, you know, with Google translate, you talk into it yeah, and show them modern language translation, right? But you could kind of get the idea across, but some of the aspects or the nuance of, uh, of language is missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what we realized when we were in Israel is that there is so much depth to the language and the cultural setting and background that we're missing with a, just a cursory reading of scripture. And so we realized we want to go deeper. So when we got home from that trip, and how many years ago was that? So that was 2014, I believe. So nine years wow. ago. Or maybe 15. So eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So eight years ago, mm-hmm. that's really what catapulted us into being very curious about what is the original context, what is the historical context, like trying to get as much knowledge around what we're reading in scripture as possible to help illuminate it. And oh my word, there's so much there. It's like a treasure trove. It's, um, I heard one, one preacher call it like, he says, you're like a biblical archeologist going into the Bible and finding these nuggets and, and then showing how beautiful that rare nugget is that you found. Which Fun fact, we actually got to be archaeologists while we were there, and Adam found a lamp that was over 2,000 years old. Um, It was from uh, when Asa and the Mighty Men of Valor fought, Mm -hmm. and um, it had not seen human eyes for over 2,000 years. Yeah, it was so a surreal experience, like going down this this staircase into a a, really a deep hole, like Like a, a cave, like a cave, and... Um, I think there was like lights and candles and like we'd go down all the way to the bottom and uh, start digging and, you know, people were finding things and uh, everybody was kind of looking at the same time. And finally, I found a beautiful lamp. It was super neat. And then they took it from me. Surrendered to Israel Antiquities <laughs> Authorities. <laughs> yeah. So that started our, our search. So I, I we both read different books. Um, a really great book would be called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Oh, yeah. Fantastic book. Um, and Paul I, Through Mediterranean Eyes. Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. I loved those books. Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. much cultural context to what Jesus is saying and what the Bible's saying. And then we got on to this book called Hebrew Word Study by Chaim Mentora. He has two books that we've read so far, and we've really try to read a little bit every single day mm-hmm. from these books. Well, and they truly are devotional. Yes. So like if you're wondering, oh, is that a book for me? Like even if you're not an academic or you're not wanting to get super deep into like all these, you know, historical or Hebrew studies, mm-hmm. this is a great way to, to, you know, grab this book. It's a devotional each day is probably what, two to three pages long, mm-hmm. maybe four at the most. Mm-hmm. And so it's very doable, you know, yeah. and you learn something every single day. And we have learned so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I could definitely see my relationship with God over that span of time 
it really has changed and it's deepened. And I see Jesus in a completely different light instead of this other that I kind of pray to the ceiling and hope he hears. It's like I have more of that relationship of, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel Jesus. I see Jesus in my mind. It's, it's a longing to, to have a deeper relationship like what I have with my wife. Mm. So what we've really learned is that marriage really does give us a, a feel or a, the emotional intensity that Jesus wants to have with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this uh, marriage is really for. It's to help give us a physical um, and, and, you know, interactive model for yeah. what God wants to experience with us. Yeah. And because of that, the enemy will stop at nothing Mm -hmm. to try to destroy the ideals of marriage. And we see that happening in society. You know, marital love, marital intimacy is so strong and such a good representation of our relationship with the Lord that the enemy is going to seek to destroy that, not just for the sake of destroying humans and their satisfaction in life, Mm -hmm. but ultimately for the sake of destroying our vertical relationship with God. When I first started the dissertation, I thought I was just going to be studying, you know, a biblical perspective of sex and intimacy. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the relationship with a husband and wife is paralleled to the relationship between God and Israel or Christ and the church. And I I knew that at surface, Mm -hmm. but I hadn't really embraced that for myself Mm -hmm. as an individual. Like what does bonding with God look like? I want to talk about that, but, um, you know, what does intimacy with God look like outside of just, you know, receiving the Holy spirit. That's incredible. It is a very intimate experience, but what does an ongoing intimate relationship look like? Mm. And, um, and so like, I really got to dive deeply into that and I've been realizing more and more about God's love for us, not just my love for him, Mm. but how deeply he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us and wants to have that rest and bonding and intimacy with us, with me personally, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so I think that's been the biggest impact throughout this journey. Yeah. Well, let's get into the weeds a little bit, shall we? Okay. I thought about just diving right into chapter two of my dissertation, actually, because that's where I really um, get into the weeds, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, about intimacy with God or God's intimacy with the beloved Mm -hmm. is the title of the chapter intimacy with the beloved. So I actually started the whole chapter off with Hosea Mm -hmm. chapter two, um, verses 14 through 20. And the reason why, you know, this whole conversation came up is because we did a devotional a few days ago that brought up Hosea two 19. And that's part of this passage that I launched into chapter two with. Um, and I don't know if most people consider Hosea as like an intimacy, uh, you know, book of the Bible. Usually most people think about Song of Solomon and don't worry, there's lots of exegesis of Song <laughs> of Solomon in the dissertation. But I, I don't know that most people would think of jumping right to Hosea. Mm. Um, but Hosea teaches us a lot about God's relationship with us and what a marital relationship can look like, despite it being, um, you know, such a, an unorthodox direction from God to Hosea. Mm. So where in Hosea? Let's so go there. Hosea chapter two. Um, so I'm not going to read through the entire passage right now, but I would ask you pause and go read Hosea chapter two, the whole chapter. Um, and the reason why I say the whole chapter is because I'm going to focus on a transition that takes place in verse 14, but you have to have read the first 13 verses before Mm. you get into the transition in verse 14 
and then where we start reading about intimacy. So pause here, go read the whole chapter of Hosea chapter two. You know, once you've read that, you could attribute that intimate imagery in the passage to nothing more than just God's desire to redeem Israel, but we'd be missing out on a rich message of unconditional love. Um, and really there's more than just love or intimacy going on here. There's also that safe bond of connection, forgiveness, also the active pursuit and God's heart, um, for his beloved. So through the grammatical historical hermeneutic, which that's just a lot of people's preferred way of looking at scripture. Um, as a spirit filled person, I'm also going to look at scripture through a spirit filled lens, not just grammatic, you know, grammatical historical, but, uh, I always want to make sure that what I'm, um, feeling in terms of, uh, you know, a spirit led inclination lines up with what we see from a grammatical historical perspective. Right. We never want to get too lost on one side or the other. So through that lens of a grammatical historical hermeneutic, that intimate imagery reveals many insights about God's relationship with his beloved. And then also those parallels mm -hmm. toward a Pentecostal theology of marital intimacy. So in order to grasp the depth of God's pursuit of Israel in Hosea chapter two, um, you have to have that understanding of the context. That's why I had you pause and read it. And um, so Hosea prophesied in Israel from about 750 BC to 722 BC. And this was just prior to the Assyrian conquest of Israel. And Hosea's ministry began um, during the reign of Jeroboam. And it's a king who did evil in the sight of the Lord is what the Bible says, mm -hmm. um, and really misled Israel. So during Hosea's 28 year ministry, Israel was ruled by eight different kings and all of which did evil in the sight of the Lord. So Hosea is really having a hard time here yeah. trying to prophesy and minister to people um, who were being led by constantly falling kings, mm -hmm. falling lead, you know, leaders who are falling and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Um, so Amos had been prophesying to Israel just a few years prior and Hosea's message was pretty similar to Amos's mm -hmm. message. And that was that Israel had been unfaithful to God. So God was going to bring judgment. Mm -hmm. um, but Hosea's message takes a turn and that's where we get into what intimacy looks like. Um, so Hosea's message shifts between this message of judgment. And that's what you're seeing that could start happening when you're all the way through verse 13. Right. right. And then a new message of pursuit and forgiveness ensues when you mm. get to verse 14. Um, in fact, you know, he starts that whole thing off with the word therefore in verse, in verse 14. And it's as if you think he's going to say like, therefore I'm going to pronounce judgment and I'm going to, mm -hmm. you know, strike her, you know, whatever. It's like, you, th you think he's going to go say like, she has been unfaithful to me. And so I will, I'm done. Yeah. But, she, but he doesn't, mm. he's, he, instead he goes into, let, well, let's give, you know, the adulterous acts, by the way, verses two through 13 are all framed in terms of sexual promiscuity. Mm. Not that everything that Israel was doing was sexual, but the way that it's framed, um, in, in Hosea two, um, two through 13, it's all, very sexual words. Um, and so the language is indicative of the offense that God took as her betrothed and the brokenness that he experienced when she chose to devote herself to the Baals, um, the, the gods of, mm. you know, the pagan gods the instead idols. of to him. Yeah. So the passage transitions by first stating that Israel had offered sacrifices to the Baals, adorned herself in jewelry, followed her lovers, forgetting the Lord. And then verse 14, therefore, okay, instead mm. of pronouncing judgment, he says, he flips the script 
He says that while Israel has committed these acts of adultery, he will allure her. Hmm. That's the wording there. He will allure her, essentially stating his intent to win her back. So in, in the prior chapters, God has commanded Hosea to pursue the prostitute Gomer, right? And mm. that's such a confusing, like, why? Yeah. Why would God that's go a, tell? That's a difficult one. Seriously. So he's telling her, though, like, telling him, go pursue Gomer in an effort to redeem her. Mm-hmm. And in this chapter, God states that he will do the same to Israel. Mm. So specifically, he outlines his intent to whisk her away into the wilderness. And that's the same place where he humbled her and walked with her for 40 years. Mm. Think about that. You know, he walked with her in the wilderness, um, the same wilderness that we've been to. Yep. And we're going back and to, we're going. um, by the time this airs, we will have already gone back to that yeah. wilderness. Um, and he's providing for her every need in those 40 years in the wilderness. And then he says, I want to whisk her, this adulterous Israel. Mm. I want to whisk her away into the wilderness again and go meet her need again. So God continues listing the many ways in which he'll enter back into covenant with Israel. I won't go into all those details. Like there's a lot of imagery with like give her vineyards, the Valley of Acor for a door of hope, make them lie down safely. There's mm. so many really cool nuggets there. But in other words, he's giving her mercy and he's saying, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm, I'm going to try harder to win you back so that you can feel my love. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so many specific, beautiful examples that he Mm -hmm. says he's going to do for her and to her. So he's essentially promising a sense of safety and protection. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? So, um, this all begins to reflect the dynamic of Christ and the believer when we receive his spirit. So you can picture it kind of like betrothal, Mm -hmm. right? We enter into covenant, we repent and we get baptized. We receive the Holy spirit. Our sins are remitted looking at acts Mm -hmm. two verse 38. And then God enters into us, empowering us for mission and blessing. And that's that moment at which God enters the believer is really reminiscent of the moment that God shifts from being grieved by Israel's adulterous acts Mm -hmm. through verse 13, Mm -hmm. um, into that pursuit and entering into an intimate covenant with her in verse 14. Mm -hmm. And then our study verse from our devotional was specifically 19. I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. Mm -hmm. So we, we uh, dug deeply into what betrothal was. Yes. Uh, is that where you're passing me the ball? Passing you the ball. Okay. Well, um, betrothal, it was very different. It was more of an engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually from Jesus's words, we know that that's how he sees us, his relationship to the church. We are in a time of actually betrothal. Mm-hmm. So what happened in betrothal was that the man would express his desire while well, he would betroth his wife or his soon-to-be wife, um, but go away to prepare a room in his father's house. So you wouldn't go and, you know, have your own house somewhere apart from your family. There would be a big family compound, and the husband would go and prepare a a chamber or a house. Um, And actually, the family would fund this for Mm -hmm. up to a year, um, and it varied for how, how much time they needed and he would go and get it all ready. And so, and interesting too, the bride would not know when the husband was going to come or the, what do you, what do you call it? The, fiance. Yeah. The fiance. <laughs> Betrothee. Yeah. Betrother. <laughs> yeah. He, he, uh, she wouldn't know when 
he was coming. But what this betrothal was actually for was to stimulate desire. She would know the season, right? Mm -hmm. So she'd be getting herself ready. The village, the town would kind of know like, oh, the, this groom's getting ready to go take his bride. Um, and so they had been betrothed. They had a ceremony already Mm -hmm. and they would actually spend time together in the wilderness, kind of like frolicking and, um, kissing and Mm -hmm. holding hands. Mm -hmm. But if they went any further and actually had sex at that point, they were actually married. Like that's what would consummate the marriage. And ideally that would happen when he had this prepared time and he would go and take her away into his father's house. Yes. And, and really that's where we are right now as a church. We are preparing ourselves. We are being filled with desire and waiting for God to come back for us, mm-hmm. to bring us back to his house or yeah. to his prepared place. Um, and it's such a beautiful outlook or uh, insight into God's desire. He sees us as uh, the object of his wooing. Yeah. He sees this, us as the object of his love. And it was just such a beautiful, I don't know, picture. And it also, this idea of betrothal really makes sense of, you know, the, the virgins, mm-hmm. you know, the, that, you know, the husband was going to come and find that, that bride when hopefully she was ready yeah. Um, so, and she would be, she'd get herself ready yeah. knowing the season. There were, en- there was enough, there was enough, um, I guess tell, or there was enough, mm-hmm. um, indication that he was going to come and the word would spread and, he, and she would get ready and prepare herself. But she her didn't know f- the day or the hour. Nope. Did not <laughs> know the day or the hour. Yeah. And so they, Adam said earlier, like this time of betrothal was meant for building desire in this couple because oftentimes they had an arranged marriage. So they had this ceremony, it was arranged and then they'd have this year or so, sometimes less, sometimes more to get to really build desire and knowing that KJV Mm -hmm. word, you know, he knew her, they'd learn to know before they actually knew physically, sexually, Mm -hmm. intimately. Um, but that word to know encompasses all of the knowing It encompasses what we know with our head, what we know with our heart, what we know with our body and spirit. And so, um, it's really neat, like this time of desire that's built. So let's think about that in terms of our relationship with God. Okay. So we, we know the Sabbath, right? A lot of people talk about mm-hmm. the Sabbath is a time when we are to, um, rest, that's kind yep. of where we end that, right? And we like, think it's chill out. Just go to sleep. Take a nap. Yeah. Don't work on the Sabbath, right? Don't perform miracles on the Sabbath. Well, mm-hmm. Jesus blew that out of the water. But the Sabbath is not about simply resting. I mean, think about it. The first Sabbath ever mentioned was when God took a Sabbath right. in Genesis 2. He after... didn't necessarily need, need a nap. After right. He created stuff. Exactly. So like what exactly was happening? Um, so you know, we read in Genesis two, God rested. And that word comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, um, on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Um, so it could be a misinterpretation of the word Shabbat to just say rest. So it's more about ceasing from activity or interrupting your normal activity to accomplish something specific. Hmm. And so God, you know, like we were saying, didn't need to necessarily regain his strength during his rest. So what was it that he was set out to accomplish as he ceased activity? 
So scripture's first mention of Israel taking a Sabbath sheds some more light on that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, Exodus 16, 30 refers to Israel resting on the seventh day, just after God reminded Moses that the people had enough bread on the sixth day to provide for the seventh day. They didn't have a need to go out and gather more bread that day. So the Hebrew word for rest here is a play on words between yeshev, which is to sit down or to dwell, and bashavathu, um, which means to bond. And God's purpose for taking a Sabbath on the seventh day in Genesis perhaps was exactly that. It was to cease activity in order to dwell with and bond with humanity, Hmm. God with humanity, humanity with God. And the fact that God didn't take a Sabbath until he had created humanity lends itself in particular to that purpose of Shabbat. Hmm. It's really good. And, And people have to realize too that that Hebrew is a very flexible language. Yeah. So when you talk to Hebrew scholars, a lot of them are very flexible in the way they they choose to see the Bible. They'll say, "Ah, oh, it could be this, or it could be this on this on on this hand or this hand." Like, mm-hmm. so it's it's very flexible, just because I think their language is so flexible. True. That is absolutely the case. I mean, even the number of words in the Hebrew language shows us that we have to have some flexibility Mm -hmm. in the interpretation because, you know, the English language has over a million words. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew language has roughly eight to 11,000 words. But when you take all of the proper names and places, all of those things away, it really only has like three to 4,000 words. Mm -hmm. So very few words to describe all of the million plus things that we describe in English. And yet it's completely adequate because it, it, the word choices used in the Bible sheds, give so much more of a picture because it's, it tells a story rather than being so specific it tells a story and it's like a prism that you can look through and see lots of different colors. I like that. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. And so getting back to this bonding with God business, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that's really what we've been describing about our own walk with God in the last Mm -hmm. few years. And, um, what we see as the purpose of Shabbat and what we see as the purpose of marital intimacy Mm -hmm. and intimacy with between God and humanity. So what exactly was happening during, these intimate moments, um, that, you know, God desires to have with humanity, with Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve at the time. Well, that concept of intimacy between God and his beloved is not a novel idea. It's not even specific to Christianity Mm -hmm. because in Orthodox Judaism, the Sabbath requirements are viewed as a gift. Mm -hmm. So because it represents an opportunity to bond with God and also this word, I want you to memorize this word. It, it offers you an opportunity to enter into a devek with God. Okay. So what is a devek? Okay. So a devek is, um, to, to give it some specific definition, it comes from the Hebrew word davak, davak, um, to cling, to cleave, to keep close, to be deeply attracted, to pursue closely, to join together. So we read in Deuteronomy 10 verse 20, you shall fear the Lord, your God, you shall serve him and cling to him and you shall swear by his name. So it can be argued that the word cling is not really the best rendering of the word devek um, because it's more about entering into an intimate place of bonding and warmth with God. In fact, um, rabbinic literature refers to devek as a high and deep stage of spiritual development in which the seeker attaches himself or herself to God and exchanges individuality for a profound partnership with him. So that motivation for a devek um, is really that desire to 
have that intense love for God and a passionate drive for intimacy and connection with him. Um, so in this context, the Jews viewed the Sabbath as a time to slow down and bond with God and his ways and his word. And they feel the warmth of the embrace of God as they rest in him. So that mm. rest wasn't just like chill out. It was like rest in God's warm embrace. You can even say that the word Devek is like a hug. Mm. Like you're in that warm connecting place with God. He's hugging you. That's good. And you're resting in him. And that's when you have a chance to really meditate on the law of God rather than the list of do's and don'ts that some may see as they read Jewish law Mm. in the Old Testament. They were able to just lean back into his arms and rest in his and and reflect on on what was the nature of this law? What was the relationship, the reason behind this Mm. law? So it's really an appeal for Israel. And when, if we go back to Hosea, it's a, re, a an a, appeal for Israel to enter into a devek with God again. Um, not a one-sided demand, but an invitation to become intimately familiar with God. And side note, we won't go into the, all the depth, but you and I also did a devotional a while back about this same chapter, how, you know, he was, you were no longer, God was no longer going to be called Israel's Baali, which was like basically master, master, mm-hmm. um, came from the root Baal, Mm -hmm. but now I'm going to be called your husband. Mm. Right. So it went from like someone who just rules over you to now, like we're actually going to have a reciprocating intimate relationship. Right. And there's so much more there too. Yeah. So next time you're, um, going to church on your Sunday, see it as a chance to bond with God. See every single day as a chance to enter into the Devec. Yes. And we would just encourage you guys, like you don't have to be pursuing something scholastically or academically to get these nuggets. I mean, Mm. literally Adam and I are getting a new nugget every day as we read just a devotional. So we would recommend grab this Hebrew word study. Um, We'll link both of them in the show notes. Um, There's one that's about exploring the mind of God and one that's exploring the heart of God. Both are equally fantastic. Yes.